listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, welcome to you all. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, We are in the midst of a series called Come Back Stronger. And really what we're looking at is this transitional time that the people of God find themselves in after Jesus's resurrection, which we celebrated a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday. And I wanted to begin with a text um, which occurs just after the resurrection. And we're going to be turning to John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 17. John 20, verse 17. This will be up on a slide if you don't have your Bibles in front of you. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Some translations there say, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. We're going to come back to that in a second, but what I wanted to do is, I guess, mark the stage where we are at. Yesterday, I went back through some videos that we'd posted um, in our response to going online. And there was one particular video where we'd made the decision as a church that we weren't going to meet that Sunday. The lockdown was beginning. And what shocked me was that video, I think, was March 15th, which is not that long ago. It seems like six months to a year when only really it's a couple of months ago. And it's just amazing how much the world has changed in this time. Early on when I was reading about pandemics and trying to get my head around how we could respond as a church, how I could respond as a leader and just as a human being dealing with this, I read how there's a stage in pandemics when it seems like a kind of unreality sets in. There is this stage where we're used to being brought up on video and footage where we see vision of the terrorist attack, where maybe a couple people have been killed, but we see the actual event happen and that burns more deeply in our minds than a statistic of a faraway earthquake where hundreds of thousands of people die. The footage of a murder, the footage of a natural disaster has a greater importance than an event where we just read about it and see numbers. There is a correlation where we as humans interrelate with persons and faces, where we have a natural connection because we're relational beings. 
And what happens in a pandemic is the statistics just keep moving up. We see the death tolls coming from certain countries. We see the economic figures and there's something around them because we don't experience them as a personal face-to-face encounter unless we're personally experiencing those numbers where it seems like a kind of unreality. And as we move to possible relaxation of some of the lockdown measures, there can be this sense that, hang on, we're just going to snap back and everything's going to return as it was. But if you read what the experts are saying, whatever a snapback looks like, we're going to return to a very, very different world. And so this drive to return what was, this drive to, in a sense, create new unreal rhythms can lead us astray. In the ABC News this morning, there was an interview with the Australian novelist, uh, Minnie Dark, who's from Tasmania. And she just wrote a reflection piece talking about what she has learned through the pandemic. She acknowledged the suffering that people are going through, the physical danger that many people find themselves in, and the economic problems to come. But she also recognized that there's something that she's beginning to learn in this pandemic. She said that before she had children, she was determined to not be like those parents who spend their entire lives running around after their children. As a mother, she went into having children, determined to do it differently, but then found herself conforming to the mold of what a high-performing mother should look like. She said this, because of their enthusiasm and because of everything they wanted to do seemed so worthy, I kept saying, okay, we can make that work. Straw by camel breaking straw, my children got overscheduled and so did I. With both parents working full-time, the daily high-wire miracle of transportation and logistics reached a point of insanity. Insanity is a kind of unreality. It's when humans have a break from reality and live in a kind of insanity. And one of the terms that people I heard keep saying when this pandemic began was, man, this is so crazy what is happening. This is unreal. I can't believe what is happening. And our words were referring to the fact that what was happening seemed like a break with reality. But what Minnie Dark realized in this reflection piece that perhaps there was actually a kind of unreality she was living before. And I think she's on to something. At a mass scale, there was a kind of unreality that we were living before that you could order a shovel from your local hardware store and if it's not in stock, it can get on a plane and fly from the other side of the world using up all these carbon emissions at a time where we're talking about the planet. That's not a normal thing to do. It was this kind of unreality that we could just squeeze into life so many different things and wonder why we were getting more and more anxious as our expansive freedom just continued to grow. Minnie Dark reflects this at the end of the piece. There's a lot of talk right now about when this is over, as if our choices are between the life we used to lead and lockdown. But we are about to enter an in-between space in which we will need to reinvent our lives. Now, I don't know if Minnie Dark has faith, but I believe that there's actually a message there for us as people of faith. 
We're entering into this in-between stage. The people in the gospel stories like Mary were in an in-between stage. Bruno Makesh, who is one of the best writers writing about what's happening with the pandemic, says we've entered into a tunnel and we're going to be traveling in this tunnel for some time. And when we come out of that tunnel, we don't know what the future looks like. And so in the midst of that tunnel, the choice between lockdown and the life before needs to be reinterpreted into what kind of way in which do we want to reinvent our lives? And for me, the question I'm asking as the talk of relaxing various restrictions and we don't know what that looks like exactly comes is that this is not, as I realized, just a chance to snap back and we're going to return to everything that was and red church and just get along with its business like we were doing six months ago. As I've gotten up in the morning and gone for walks, And in the midst of all the busyness that is now surrounding so much of the world, for those of you who've got kids at home, for those of you who are trying to do jobs on the midst of other things, that quiet moments in the morning, I've really felt the Lord say, Mark, there is something that we need to grasp in this moment. A question popped into my head on Friday as I walked early in the morning praying. What if we were really spiritually sick when the world seemed healthy, when there were no masks, no lockdowns, no daily counts of infections? What if actually there was a spiritual sickness that had captured the world, a kind of unreality? And what if we're actually called to be spiritually healthy in the midst of a pandemic? I felt a real sense of confession and repentance of the spiritual state that we were in the spiritual state that so much of the church in the West was in. I read this quote as I was researching this piece that we're speaking this morning, this sermon from Peter Kuzmich, who is the principal of the Evangelical Theological Seminary of Croatia. And he says this, so much popular Western evangelical religiosity is so shallow and selfish It promises so much and demands so little. It offers success, personal happiness, peace of mind, material prosperity. But it hardly speaks of repentance, sacrifice, self-denial, holy lifestyle, and willingness to die for Christ. When I read that, I'm reminded of all these great saints I've read the stories of. I'm reminded of the people who gave everything for God. I'm reminded of the men and women that we find in Scripture whose lives were turned upside down by the gospel. And increasingly, my heart is torn into how much I was part of a system which has perpetuated a kind of Christianity which was offering itself as a panacea to the world's problems versus actually falling at the feet of Christ and worshipping Him. Where Christianity was about the direction being pointed at us not the turning of that arrow to be pointed towards Christ. Whatever snapback looks like, whatever the easing of restrictions look like, I believe there's still a work that needs to be done in us and as the church. It's not about when the lockdown ends, it's about when God's work in us ends. And so at this moment, in this tunnel that we're in, in this in-between time, in this liminal space, what is the revelation that God wants to give to us at this time. 
And I believe Mary's story that morning, early in the morning, as she got up and go to the tomb, speaks to us. As we think about Mary, what was going through her head that morning? Mary, who is still there when the other disciples abandoned Jesus, as others deny him, as others disappear, she's there at the crucifixion. She's there to come to the tomb. And often this is spoken about as this loyalty that Mary had towards Jesus. And I think that's true. But maybe there's something there which is almost a sense of denial that this has happened, a sense of desperation for what Jesus means to her. I preached about Mary before a number of times and often I've spoken of Mary and I've heard this preached as well, of Mary as this woman in a time where women had absolutely no agency. Who is Mary if she doesn't have a man to define her? But as I've read more about what actually was the place of women in the Roman world, yes, there were parts of rural communities and parts of Jewish culture where women had zero agency. But also where Israel was at this time was in an overlap between Roman and Israeli life or Jewish life. And it says in Luke's gospel that Mary was part of this group of women like Joanna and Susanna who actually were financially funding the disciples. And in the Roman world, there were women who were able to, not they still didn't have equal rights as men, but they're actually able to carve out a life of influence. Patronage was one of the ways that people showed influence in the ancient world. You would give money to great public works. And we see the historical records that actually some women gave patronage as well as men. There were women of means with power and influence. And so I think Mary, as this woman who's completely coward, can offer this simplistic view of who Mary was. Here is a woman with influence and agency, yet something is haunting her that she's at the tomb that morning. The scriptures also tell us something else really important about Mary. Mary was a woman who was tormented by a whole host of spirits. And Mary's life had changed. And I believe the reason that she is funding the mission here, she's got this central part in Jesus' disciples' community, is because Jesus comes and heals her and casts these demons out. But Jesus also says if those demons aren't replaced with the Spirit of God, they will come back in greater numbers. And perhaps the reason Mary is there at the tomb that morning is because she's deeply afraid with Jesus who was tangible and walking in front of her, with that Jesus who saw and healed her, with him gone, what does this mean? Will that fear, that that anxiety, that oppression come back to her? And now that Jesus is gone, that Jesus has disappeared, that Jesus who when the fear came to oppress her, that the demons would return, she would just have to look and there he was, the answer to her oppression. But now he's died on the cross. He is physically not present. And so Mary then has this incredible exchange with Jesus. We understand why Jesus says to her, Mary, don't cling to me anymore. There is a new phase. We've entered into this stage between 
the risen Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Mary, you can't cling to me because it's not like what it was. The old world has gone. God is moving forward in history. He's doing his next thing. Do you see it? What is going on here is what in the biblical language is a revelation. A revelation or to use the proper term, an apocalypse. Now we hear the word apocalypse and we think of some great disaster movie, zombies apocalypse. But actually the term apocalypse is the revealing or pulling back of the curtain and seeing what the spiritual reality truly is. Mary was living in a kind of unreality. Jesus had been speaking to the disciples of what the spiritual reality to come was, yet they could not hear him because they were living in the last period. Bruce Milne says this, Jesus had passed through death and is now part of the new order in the glory of the Father's presence. The new order, a new age had come. Mary's problem in common with all the disciples, this isn't just something that was wrong with Mary, this was with all the disciples, was that she didn't hold a large enough view of Jesus. She's searching, searching. She's searching for a corpse instead of seeking a victorious Lord. Mary's view of Jesus was too limited. Mary's view of Jesus was that he was there to answer this ongoing torment that she had and that she would always be afflicted by this torment and whilst healed, that she then would be stuck in that place with fear constantly at bay. But here in the quiet of that morning, the first human being to encounter the new reality Jesus risen and as Lord. Jesus actually had to go. Jesus says to her, don't cling on to me because I must ascend to the Father. Jesus was continuing to move with the glorification of Jesus. His triumph was that he would come out of the grave, as we will celebrate in a couple of weeks, ascend to the right hand of the Father. He has to go to the right hand of the Father for a reason. Now, Jesus had already explained this to the disciples Let's look at John 16, just a few chapters earlier in verses 7 to 14, where Jesus says this, But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because Jesus, sorry, people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Before Jesus was died on the cross, beat sin, defeated evil, ended destruction and death. Jesus could not explain all these things because something else had to happen. Jesus had to be resurrected. The Spirit actually had to come. The disciples could not see the full vista of who Jesus was and what he was doing before these great acts. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Spirit 
has to come for the disciples to truly see who the risen Lord is. This is why Mary thinks he's the gardener. This is why the two disciples on the Emmaus road can't recognize Jesus. This is why people can't see Jesus because something greater is happening. The apocalypse, the revealing of the spiritual reality is happening. And this in-between time is the time where people catch up with this new reality that is now breaking out in the world. Jesus continues, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Now, in this new order, this new time, this is not about clinging to Jesus. This is about something greater that is happening. And Mary needs her horizon of who Jesus is expanded. We need a similar expansion in our understanding of Christ. We need a revelation of who Jesus really is. We need a revealing of the spiritual reality in a time where quite possibly at this moment, the world in denial will push into greater unreality because of this global pandemic. And this revelation, as we will see, is the thing that in this in-between time, between empty grave and the Holy Spirit falling in the upper room, between Calvary and that upper room, this is the time where this revelation of who Jesus was transforms the disciples from self-interest to people burning with mission and heart to go out in the world. I just wanted to end with four ways and the, the, way this, this, the ways that this happens. The first one is revelation leads to preparation. This in-between time is actually a time of preparation. And in this preparation time, there were some deeply personal works that needed to be done. Mary meets Jesus personally. And think of those first words out of Jesus' mouth. It's not a theological treatise. It's simply the personal recognition of who she is, Mary. Thomas, wrestling with doubt, struggling to believe the other disciples that Jesus actually has risen. Jesus meets him and comes and allows him to touch his wounds, a deeply personal work. Peter, who'd betrayed Jesus, who we're going to look at next week, is restored and commissioned into ministries. There is a deep personal work of preparation that is happening to each one of us. Some of you are running around like headless chickens, trying to do homeschooling, keep your job going, keep the household going. Others are in a time where there's lots of space and quiet. Some are struggling with the limitations of quarantine and wanting to get back out and moving around, engaging with the world. Others are actually secretly enjoying it. Some's faith has been increased. Others are struggling with doubt. Others are seeing this fragility in your own health, which you could live with, but now is front and presence. Others are sensing this heart to serve. There is so many personal things going on at this moment. They're all different, but what they are combined is they are preparation for God to take you to the next stage. And just as the risen Lord got around the disciples, giving what each needed, he's doing that at this moment, personally preparing you through a revelation of who he truly is, the Lord who loves, the Lord who is walking with you. 
But he's also saying, don't cling to me. Don't cling to the last season. Something new is happening. And so the second point is that revelation leads to an acceleration. We see an acceleration that begins to happen here amongst the disciples. That is phenomenal. In 40 days, we see more growth probably than we saw in the three years of Jesus' ministry before. God can do in a moment what humans can only do in a millennium. And so this time is actually a time of accelerated growth. And some of you are feeling like, man, that's not happening to me. I feel stuck. But maybe that's actually because Jesus wants you to stop at this moment, to stop trying to solve this, and actually instead to simply recognize the risen Lord, that we can't do this in our own strength. I don't know how and when we come out of things. I don't know what it looks like when red can meet in 10 and when it looks like when we can meet in 100 and then I read about that if it's 100, you've got to have these four meters square size of a double bed. We will work all this out. But let me tell you now, I don't know the future and the direction we're meant to go. I will only find that out when I seek what the Lord wants to do. And when I'm focused that actually what's really important here is the work he wants to do in us and the other stuff will work itself out. And what God wants to do in this transactional time between the cross and the upper room is accelerate the disciples' growth and he wants to accelerate our growth. He wants to undo the spiritual unhealth that existed before that was restricting our growth. And he wants to turn Western Christianity from one focused on self and just a Panadol pill to take away our worries. And he wants to turn our worlds upside down as we encounter the wonderful and wild Jesus who leads us into new lands. Rob Reimer says this, if you believed the things about God that God believes about you, it would revive your soul. In this moment, he wants to accelerate your growth by actually sitting with you and the risen Lord who sits at the right hand of the Father is sending who? The advocate, the counselor, the spirit to lead you, to tell you how much God loves you, to transform you, you the beloved. God is stopping some of you running around like headless chickens because he just wants to put his hands on your face and look into your eyes and tell you how much he loves you and show you the new reality that's breaking out in the world. It can break out in your life now. Second last one, revelation, revelation, revelation leads to elevation. Mary is moving here from a clinging to actually a commissioning. Mary, who is clinging and fearful that she's going to be overrun by spirits, who's got this sort of background role funding the project. I'll just fund the project from the back here. I've got a bit of money, which is a needed thing. But actually what Jesus does at this point is elevate. And yes, women did not have equal rights at this time to the point where despite some of them being able to patronize and able to fund things, actually at this time in the courts of law, they were not considered witnesses. And so at this moment, Jesus then moves this woman to the front of the queue. And in the early church, Mary was known as the apostle to the apostles. 
She becomes the first carrier of the flame that will then spread through the Greco-Roman world, transforming us with the good news of Jesus Christ. She's the first link in the chain. She's the one who first shares the gospel. This is an elevation. And at this moment, God wants to elevate so many of you, move you beyond where you think you are. He wants to elevate and commission many of us in this time. And this is what this whole moment where there is this incredible opportunity to become the truly the priesthood of all believers. You're being elevated in your homes right now. You're being commissioned to actually step into the design God had for you. And lastly, revelation leads to invitation. Mary is invited to be a spiritual mother present at the birth of the new. This moment is difficult. This moment is painful, but so is childbirth. And at this moment, God wants to birth something new. Let's let him do his work in this time. Let our eyes focus upon the risen Lord, who Jesus is. Let God transform us and do his work in us at this moment. In a second... The music's going to begin. But let's actually move now into a time where we let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to us. As we just read in John 16, the Holy Spirit comes to open our lives, to reveal the truth to us. Many of us have had untruth, lies, falsehoods, unreality, floating in front of us for way too long, distorting us, our self-image, our image of the world. Our society is oppressed with myths and idols. And what the Spirit wants to do is put before you the risen Jesus, who is in charge of everything, who is more powerful and glorious and wonderful and peaceful and righteous and just than we can imagine. So wherever you are, if you want to open your hands, if you feel comfortable, and we're going to pray, come Holy Spirit. You've stopped us at this time. We're locked down. And Spirit, we recognize that at this time there is this opportunity that perhaps will never come again in our lifetime. You have our attention. And so we receive from you the love of the Father. Spirit, where we feel unloved, where unreality has made us Believe lies about ourselves. Bring your truth into those spaces. And Spirit, bring before us the truest image of who Jesus is. The Jesus who walked with dusty sandals, yet also sits in the heavens at the right hand of the Father. 
who's moving history to his own ends. Who a desperate world needs to hear. Jesus, in this time, we want to see you. Father, in ways that we've been clinging, perhaps possessed by the past, help us step into the new order of things that you're doing in the world, that even in the midst of this moment when the entire church in the world is locked down, we can't gather We can't rely on what we relied on before. But in the midst of this moment, we realize that this was always your church. It was never our church. These were never our services. This was never worship for our sake. This was all for you. And so recalibrate us, reorientate us at this moment, Jesus, around you. Fill people now as they watch and listen. Spirit, we need to reinvent ourselves and we can't do that in our own strength. Remake us now. In Jesus' name.